It is essential to hear God in the noise and confusion of this time. Otherwise, you are sure to be deceived. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Solon as we explore the revelation of God in this season. We want to jump right into where we left off from the previous broadcast and dig deeper into the seed of the serpent. We have, again, I I, I say we've done extensive work on setting forth the seed of the woman. This would be, of course, a reference to Christ, the many-membered Son of God who was sent to the earth to collect up all the redeemed of the earth. So in the Christ is the, 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 the Christ is the one in whom all the sons of God reside collectively as a corporate man. And a corporate man who must grow up he must grow up because the destiny of the corporate man is to destroy the works of the devil. Children are not assigned such a critically important task. What's amazing to me is how far short of the truth the evangelical gospel actually is. In fact, it, indeed, it, is not, it did not originate with the evangelicals, it, it originated with the Romans. Um, it was transferred from the Romans to the evangelical church at the beginnings, at the inception of what would come to be known as the evangelical church uh, by Calvin and Luther and uh, the reformers who were Roman priests but who were part of what eventually broke away from the Roman Church and has come to be known historically as the Reformation. They continued to import this gospel of going to heaven when you die. They took the temporary and they made it the permanent. Yes, you do go to heaven when you die, but that is never the goal of the gospel. It's not the gospel, it's not the goal of the gospel. It's one of the results associated with the gospel. The gospel is how God was in Christ, in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. God's intent was to create a people in the earth, in the person of Christ, who would carry His image and likeness. And their objectives would be twofold. The first would be to put the glory of God on display as God is, so that when you see them in their corporate form, you would see the Father just as Jesus was seen when He was on the earth in the form of an individual person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the second 
goal of God in the creation of man and in reconciling man to himself, that being the primary goal, was to destroy the works of the devil. In short, to expunge the taint of sin from creation. This would be accomplished by the power of an indestructible life. Anytime the gospel is referred to in its overarching and complete form, it has both elements to it. This is abundantly apparent in the book of Ephesians, which in my view is the most complete statement of the gospel to the Gentiles. By contrast, the most complete statement of the gospel to the Jews is the book of Hebrews. So Ephesians begins by saying that God foreknew us in Christ before the foundations of the world. That's how he begins in chapter 1. In chapter 3, he says that God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the compendium of the wisdom of God in the body of Christ, would be made known to principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. So that what he accomplished in Christ would actually be that weaponry that destroys the works of the devil. In chapter 6, he inevitably concludes the book by the, the definitive passage in all the scriptures on spiritual warfare. Along the way, he talks extensively about his, his desire in writing the book was that the believers would understand what the intents of God were for them before the foundations of the world. And he summarized it in three distinct applications. The first was that the believers would know what is the hope of God's calling. The second is that they would know God's glorious inheritance in the saints. And the third is that they would know what is the working of His mighty power on behalf of those who believe. None of these would be required but for the fact that both elements of the gospel are in fact the complete gospel. The first element again being the display of the glory of God in a corporate man and the second is the destruction of the works of the devil. This corporate man has to become qualified to wield the authority and power of Christ in regards to the overthrowing of the strongholds of the enemy. Now, that is because the entire scriptures are written against the background against this inevitable and ongoing conflict 
between the interest of Christ in the earth as shepherded, stewarded, and borne by the sons of God versus the, the, the conflict against and the intent of the enemy against that to destroy it because the seed of the woman, namely Christ, was always destined to crush the head of the serpent. Now, it's referred to as the seed of the serpent, the seed of the serpent. The term offspring is the Hebrew word, or the term for seed is the term offspring, or it refers to the word offspring. So when it comes to the, when it comes to the seed of the woman, we know that it's Christ in His individual capacity and in His capacity as the corporate man. And it anticipates this corporate man becoming mature because there's a task to be fulfilled a designated task, one set forth prophetically, the first prophecy of Scripture, that this, this, the seed of the, of the woman would be at war with and eventually would crush the head of the serpent. So that's there in the plainest language. What is the seed of the woman? I'm sorry, what is the seed of the serpent then? We know what the corporate man is, we know who Christ is, we know what the seed of the woman is. What is the seed of the serpent? It is very clearly this great beast that arises at the end of the age. It's unlike the seed of the woman who is an actual being, a corporate man, albeit a spiritual being. So there's an invisibility associated with the seed of the woman. You can't look and say, here's the kingdom or there's the kingdom. You can't look and say, here's the body of Christ or there's the body of Christ. It's an assembling by the Spirit, but it does involve humans, the spirits of just men made perfect. It does involve the spiritual component of being that has been redeemed by the Holy Spirit, that's been assembled by the same Spirit into the corporate man. So although you cannot point to it as you would an institution and say, here it is or there it is, it does in fact exist and it exists in a, in a reality so stunning that the enemy is afraid of it because he knows it's, it's uh, inevitably, uh, it knows, the enemy knows that it will inevitably have to be in conflict with this, the seed of the woman. But again my question, what is the seed of the serpent? We've identified the serpent as the very one who spoke in the garden and now the one who gives his power, look at the language, this is the very next line from where we left off before in verse 2 of, uh, of Revelation 13, the latter half of verse 2. I referred to it at the end of, last, of the last broadcast. 
the dragon who is unequivocally that ancient serpent, the one speaking in the garden, the one destined to oppose the sun. The dragon gave his power, his throne and great authority to this beast of seven heads and ten horns who historically has been presented through predatory uh, animals as its continuing reference throughout human history. It's been the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, it's been the bear with the ribs in its mouth according to Daniel, it's been the, the leopard with the four wings like an eagle, but now it's collected up in one singular final expression. That's the point I was making in the last message and continue to make in this one. The, the summation of things, both in heaven and on the earth, the summation of what started out with one man and twelve disciples and as it's progressed now an entire holy nation on the one hand, the seed of the woman and on the other hand, the opposition to the seed of the woman which started out as a deception in the Garden of Eden but has grown in its organizational mean and mindset, it's grown in its ability to project power, it's grown in its ability to deceive and the rest of it. In the final analysis, when it, when it appears as the mature seed of the serpent, when it appears as that, it appears as a kingdom that arises from amongst the nations of mankind. In one of the parables, the parable of the, the tares and the wheat, um, it may be also called the parable of the sower. Uh, in the parable of the tares and the wheat, when Jesus is giving the interpretation of the parable and He refers to the, the tares, this is what He says, and the tares are the sons of the devil. The tares are the sons of the devil. Because in their being sown among the wheat, they picture the practice of deception, deception and obstruction. So we do know that the seed of the serpent collectively referred to is a kingdom which would mean it's comprised of human beings, a kingdom that arises out of the sea of humanity. Now what is the importance of this recognition? It is that it refers to a people who have been deceived into reliance upon what is represented by the seven heads seven systems designed to attract and to entrap 
the souls of men of humankind by appealing to the emotions that desire above all provision and protection. So the seven, the number seven as in regards to the head, the seven heads, is an, is, it's, it's an attempt to duplicate the systems of the kingdom of heaven. All of every kingdom has some level of systemic reference in the sense that when you have more than two people involved in anything, there has to be a sense of order that governs their relationships. Now this order is not simply um, a structure uh, that is in a sense a one-size-fits-all. The order is applicable to all of the affairs of humankind in any kingdom. So for example, the law of, um, in the world of say commerce is of necessity different because the subject matter is different from the laws relating to healthcare versus the laws relating to finances versus the laws relating to transportation or the regulation of culture and so on and so forth. So these systems are distinct but interconnected. In their distinctiveness, they address unique fields that affect human life. In their interconnectedness, they manage to control everything that affects every aspect of human life. And that's why it's referred to as this great beast that comes up out of the sea that has seven heads. All of the control that this beast exercises or presents is comprised, it can be collected up into seven systems. Now the heads are different from the horns. The horns are on the head but they have a different function. The horns project the power of the beast as it relates to that particular head. So if one of the heads speaks blasphemously against the Most High, which is what we'll see in just a moment, that would be because of subject matter. That would concern itself with religious things. And blasphemy there ought not be conflated with vulgar speech, which is one of the things we think typically in a domestic way. We think that vulgar speech is what blasphemous speech looks like. Now, certainly, vulgar speech may be uh, one of the forms of blasphemous speech. Blasphemous speech is more about subject matter 
rather than the particular use of language or whether you speak it loudly or you whisper it. Jesus said about the end of the age, He said, many will come in My name, this is Matthew 24, saying, I am Christ, but they are deceivers. Some will say, Jesus has returned, He's in the desert. He said, don't go out to see Him, don't go out looking for Him. And He tells us how the manner of His appearing will be when He comes again. So blasphemous speech is, is by definition a distortion of what is true with the intent, the underlying intent to deceive. I will have much more to say about that as we go forward. And even already I believe you can see in your minds, in your mind's eye you can readily see how the truth has been turned into a lie in religious forms. One of the things that God objected to in the book of Jeremiah, in the 15th chapter of Jeremiah, God objected to the legacy of a king named Manasseh. Manasseh brought in all forms of evil practices into Israel. He set up an Asherah pole, he practiced divination, he encouraged witchcraft and the rest of it. And in fact, God attributes the Babylonian captivity that followed the rule of Manasseh and I'm setting it up because I intend to deal with it very directly in the scripture that says, and whoever leads captivity into captivity, they will go. Whoever kills by the sword will die by the sword, and so on and so forth. That's actually the reference, a reference from Jeremiah, the 15th chapter. And it's referring to that which had preceded that prophetic utterance. My point is that a horn on a head that speaks blasphemy is a reference to a religious head, speaking things that lead the people of God astray and lead them into captivity. I'm not unpacking that very deeply right now, but I'll come back and show it to you when we do indeed focus on exactly that. But I'm saying only that uh, one of the heads speaks blasphemous things. The other thing that you should note here about the seed of the serpent, the thing that finally comes to be, this kingdom of seven heads and ten horns, a systemic kingdom where the seven heads are representations of seven areas of rule, and here we're not talking geographic rule, but seven systems upon which human life depends, 
like the kingdom of God has seven systems that where, where the authority and rule and order of Christ brings life and peace to all aspects of, those, of the lives of those who put their trust in the Lord. So the systems of the beast have seven heads to them, seven compendiums to them, and the intent of those systems are to, is to deceive. And the religious head is particularly egregious, particularly noteworthy in its leading role of turning the truth into a lie. There will be, there is, there has always been, might I add, a religious component to the kingdom of Satan because he is always intended to deceive mankind. How do we know that? He is a liar and a deceiver from the beginning. The thing I'm trying to convey is that everything that is spoken of here in the highly symbolic language of the, speech, the prophetic speech of Revelation is well documented in, in other passages of Scripture that are not laden with any measure of symbolism. It's easy to understand but the problem is if we, if we see the book of Revelation as a text unto itself as opposed to the summary of everything spoken in the Scriptures both in principle and in prophetic utterance, then, then what God is telling us is the value of this book is it reveals Christ perfectly and it is indeed food, manna for the people of God who live in the day when this becomes manna. And for the unrighteous, for the ungodly, for the lost, these things will come upon them as birth pangs on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. It also tells us that the need to be led by leaders who know God and who know the Scriptures, that need is critical to our maturing and growing up. And when you compare that to the absolute unmitigated folly of the, of perpetrated by the leaders of the present church, you understand how grave the danger is and why the Scriptures speak of a great falling away and only a remnant being saved. Listen, this is a time of serious things. One final thought before I move on. One of the seven heads had been wounded but appeared to, be, to have been healed. Well, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ upon His death, in His death upon the cross, crushed the head of the serpent. But it was not meant to be the final blow. God's intent, according to Paul in Ephesians 3, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to principalities and powers 
in the heavenly realms according to what He accomplished in Christ. The final blow, that which crushes the head of the serpent, I would say that crushes all the works of the enemy, was always intended to be delivered by the church which is the body of Christ and the blow is the force of what Christ accomplished on the cross. We'll continue next time. I'm Sam Solon and I'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thank you.